this is Jimmy. I just ate a piece of corn on the cob, and it was fucking awesome. I appreciate the podcast. Goodbye. Hey, Jimmy, I'm coming at you with the same amount of enthusiasm that you came at me with. So you get that corn on the cob, my friend. You get it good. And if anyone else wants to send me a voice memo, you can record it on your phone and email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send guest recommendations. I do read these emails. I recently booked Charles Eisenstein for a July podcast because a nice fellow named Archer emailed me and suggested that. Um, I also am getting a fellow named Elliot on next week. Um, he reached out to me. He He's a, a scientist who works in cell-based meats, so creating meat from a Petri dish, which I think is going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm going to be spending the next couple weeks down in Los Angeles working on some MOFAs stuff, uh, booking comedians. We're finalizing the issues that we're going to hit. I... I think I've mentioned already, we've got Lawrence Lessig involved from Equal Citizens, which is an amazing organization that works on campaign finance reform. So I've got some meetings lined up down there to talk about all things Motherfucker Awards. But uh, I say that because if there are any guests that you want me to get on um, over the next couple weeks in LA, you can just hit me up on Instagram or uh, shoot an email to info at kyle.surf. Um, you can also write comments on my website, kyle.surf. Um, there's a little section below each podcast, and that's a good way to get in touch with me. This podcast was recorded on uh, just across the street from the beach in Puerto Escondido at a restaurant over a number of margaritas with two close friends, Cliff Capono and Kyle Boothman. We did a little strike down to Mexico. This was the first surf trip I had taken since I broke my arm six months ago. And I am happy to report that the wing held up nicely. Um, and it was just a as good of a trip as it could have been. Got amazing waves, no injuries, and um, felt like I had a just a lot of fun surfing. Um been surfing since I was like nine years old. Actually, we talk about it in this podcast. Kyle Boothman was the one who got me into surfing. Um, and we've worked together on a lot of projects since then. But he's really responsible for opening that door for me. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting when you do something for as long as I have. My, you know, your relationship to the activity changes dramatically. And when I was younger, I had a I was hard on myself, man. I, I It was rare that I was out surfing and actually enjoying myself because my self-talk was just so shitty. Um, and I feel like the older I get, the more fun I can have surfing. Um, and, you know, what's what I find that's interesting about gaining a better relationship to whatever it is that you're into, you know, running, skating, surfing, hunting is that it actually frees your mind up to focus more on the task at hand and the technique because you don't have this this secondary monkey mind telling you that you're not good enough. Um, 
So it's fun when you have those little kinds of wins and you get older and you feel like you can have a, a better relationship to the thing that you love to do. Uh, and this trip is also really fun for me because both Kyle and Cliff are, they're both professional level surfers. Um, you know, Kyle Boothman's he's still sponsored by Quicksilver and uh, Cliff sponsored by Visla, but they also have double lives. Uh, Boothman is a successful filmmaker. He works with companies like Vans, UFC, Vice Media. He's done stuff for Patagonia. Um, we've worked together on a lot of projects in my earlier years um, with the Surfing for Change series. And he's formulated this life for himself where he works really hard on film stuff and then he still prioritizes these surf trips. Um, and it's it's a good way to do it. He's a, a wise soul. He, he's very deliberate about the decisions that he makes and uh, stoked to be his friend. Um, I think you'll get a, a good sense of our childhood in this podcast. We talked a lot about growing up in Santa Cruz and what got us into the work that we do now. And Cliff Capono, this was the first time I've uh, gone on a surf trip with Cliff. Um, he was a pod, he he's a podcast alum that uh, was on this show in episode sixty. But um, Cliff Capono, Doctor Cliff Capono, I should say, is a professional surfer, chemist, and journalist. He was born on the eastern shores of Hawaii. I'll give you his bio. His life involves equal parts science and surf. While contributing several peer-reviewed publications to the fields of molecular bioscience, he has also produced a handful of award-winning films that discuss indigenous activism, ocean conservation, global food security, and virtual reality. He has been profiled in publications such as the New York Times, NBC, CBS, Surfer Magazine, and more. Cliff is currently based in Hilo, Hawaii, and can be found tinkering in the lab when he's not chasing the best waves on the planet. Cliff, he downplays it in this podcast, but he fucking rips. He's a, a very good surfer with a silky smooth style, and uh, I just had a blast surfing with both these guys, getting barreled off our brains for seven days straight. Um, there were some other things I probably should talk about in this before I get this going. Um, oh, first of all, thanks for all the feedback that you gave uh, on the Mudwater episode uh, with Shane and Paul. Those are the two co-founders of Mudwater. They sponsor this podcast. They make a, a chai mushroom blend that I drink every day. It's got masala and cacao, and their company is blowing up, and it's so rad to see. Um, they're based down in Los Angeles. If you happen to be in Venice, you should take a little stroll down Abbott Kinney and check out the Mud Hut. It is a comically small-sized little shop on Abbott Kinney where they do donation-based mud water. Um, and all the donations from the Mud Hut go to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Um, and... It, yeah, but we did a we the whole conversation was it was about business and entrepreneurship and how to do it right, you know, how to figure out this puzzle when you're trying to grow a business. Um, and I was really happy with that podcast. So if you want to learn more about Mudwater, just go back one episode. Um, and if you want to subscribe to 
to get some of this stuff um, that I think is great, you can get 10 bucks off uh, your first subscription by typing in the code name Kyle10. I'll link to them below, mudwtr.com. And secondly, you know what's coming. All you know, you, you know, because they sponsor every episode, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Fuck yeah, guys. Santa Cruz Medicinals makes CBD, coconut oil, CBD, olive oil, CBD, pain cream. Uh, we were lathering up the pain cream on this surf trip because when you're surfing for seven hours a day, your shoulders get sore, man. And uh, we had a good little routine. I brought um, a lacrosse ball that I would roll my IT bands out, my back at the end of every day, had a little yoga mat, and then I had the um, CBD coconut oil um, and the CBD pain cream. And I'm, I mean, even if these guys ever stop sponsoring the podcast, I'm still going to be using their products and taking them with me on surf trips because when you have been in the water for six, seven, eight hours a day, on your third or fourth day, your body stops performing because you're just so tired. And I'll shut up about it, but go to CBD. It really helps when you're sore. All of you athletes out there. Uh, go to scmedicinals.com, type in Kyle10, and get 10% off. I have been blabbering too much, so please welcome to the show Kyle Boothman and Cliff Capono. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Kyle Boothman, tell me a story, man. You, we got to get you going on the mic. You got me into surfing. You know that? I I guess. You, you I just remember sneaking into your half pipe when you were a kid, and there was never anyone there. It was just me and my friend Greg would go down the street and be like, someone's got a half pipe over there. Let's go skate it. And we'd go down on the property, and we'd skate these two ramps. And then one day we showed up, and... There wasn't two ramps anymore. There was one huge ramp, and there was a bunch of people skating it. So we walked down there all kind of nervous and slow, and Kyle's older brother, Toby, came out and was like, Hey, Groms, if you guys rake this whole yard, it's like an acre. If you rake the whole thing and like put all the leaves in this, this trash can, like you guys can skate the ramp every Tuesday, which was like public session day or whatever. <laughs> so we raked the whole no. yard for like Huckleberry Finn, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Was it he Huckleberry was, Finn? It was Huckleberry Finn, that? I believe, right? I think it was Tom Sawyer, the paint, painting the face or painting painting the fence. I think you know, it was where he like tried to make him, everyone well, seem like it was a really good. It was good one idea. of the two. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, he was definitely was good at um, persuading us to do whatever. But it's cool because it did introduce me to Kyle. We he Kyle was usually not there because he'd be at his mom's house, which there was another half pipe over there we came to know later. So then we'd go hang out in Aptos. Half pipe kid. We were the half pipe kids, but um, yeah, his brother was like, "Oh, I've, you know, I've got this little brother. He's like 12, and we were like 14." And it's like his name's Kyle, and I was like, "Oh, really? Like we got to meet him sometime." And then sure enough, he showed up, and he was ripping on the half pipe, and we we're just like, "Dude, what's up?" And I remember on his grip tape, clearly it was super colorful, 
It looks like it was in like crayon or something. I don't even know what he wrote it with. <laughs> but it said, build ramps, not bombs. And he was like 12 years old, so he's been an activist since day one. Uh, activist since day one. Was it you? Or it was, it was a couple other friends very early on. They came over to my ramp once, and they, uh, they saw that oh, I was... Um, they were like, yeah, Kyle's cool, but he like... We went into his like his 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 room and like there were movies like like he was watching like Pocahontas solo. <laughs> like he was the wearing these jeans that were really high. So we left and we started calling him Dode High. <laughs> yes, that was, and behind that his was back, Robin Romero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so guys, let's get to the point. We've been getting real barreled on this trip. Would you, you guys have been getting real barreled on this trip? Cliff's been getting piped. You guys want to have a life where you're getting, like, this kind of life, where you're getting this barreled every day, focused solely on surfing for the rest of your life? Or do you think you'd get bored? For me, I'm sure people are going to hate me for this, but I I don't think I could have the feeling of a fulfilled life, having a fulfilled life by just barrels every day personally for me it's it's fun but like how many people are really benefiting from me getting barreled kind of just feels weird right that's and, I don't th- and I don't think I'm getting barreled as good as you guys anyway so I figure like I would rather watch you guys get barreled than myself get barreled to get amped you can try to shacked. I mean, I I do wonder though, like about like what does what creates happiness, right? Because we're doing what I mean, we live incredibly lucky lives. We um, get to chase waves around the world, which is fucking amazing. Um, and I see a lot of people that get to do that professionally, full time, and they don't necessarily seem like fulfilled people. And the thing that I think is unique about both of you is that you prioritize surfing good waves all around the world but you also have other shit going on and I wonder if that makes you more psyched to take these trips when you get to do it well I was out there and I told Kyle Kyle the boat guy is probably gonna come soon what should we do and Boothy said I'm not going in I just got shacked (laughs) I mean we yeah basically we had to pay a boat guy to take us out there and I was like I mean what's the worst that can happen if he wants us to pay a little more we'll pay him more and then he'll be stoked so I was like if no one's losing in this situation why not keep getting barreled I kept getting barreled a little longer yeah you did a lot longer did you guys would you say that you Boothman like engineered this life for yourself like when you're a Grom did you want to be a pro surfer and then at what point did that change that you wanted to be a filmmaker that's an interesting question because I feel like when I was a kid, I actually told a lot of people like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. I don't know if I said that, but I said, I want to make surf videos because I feel like I was almost like scared to say I want to be a pro surfer and then maybe not mm. make it. So I'd say like, I want to make surf videos. So I've pretty much been saying that since I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. And I do make surf videos. I make a lot of other videos as well, but that is part of what I do. Right. And what Do you remember what got you into making surf movies? I got super influenced from like what I remember as a kid going to the Rio Theater in Santa Cruz like this big theater and people would show their surf films there and actually the Capitola Theater as well like I remember Josh Palmer 
and who else? Like Charlie Chesley would even show films. Like there was these local films, and I always frothed so hard on watching like local surf videos because it was people surfing the waves that we surfed every day. Same. Right? Like you're Same. saying, oh, my favorite videos are like from Hawaii, and we're yeah. like, oh, our favorite videos are from Santa Cruz. Like, because we had a conversation about our favorite surf videos the other day. And we were, like, fully naming, like, local surf videos. But I just feel like, as a kid, like, you want to watch people riding the same waves that you ride. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I just got stoked on watching these movies. But these movies were always, like, dudes that were, like, way older than we were. And I was like, I just want to make movies of, like, all our friends doing this. So I just started doing it. When did you start doing that? When I was, like, 14 years old, I was in a surf contest at Pleasure Point. And the waves were firing. It was super high tide and sewers was going off as well. So I paddled out at sewers no in names, between no heats. Name, no names. No names. No secret spot. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. It's okay. <laughs> so anyway, I paddled out at this spot X <laughs> in between heats. And I, someone ran over my Achilles tendon and like sliced halfway through it. So next thing you know, like I had a final that I was supposed to be in, but I was at the hospital. And, you know, I was 14 years old. Like, I wanted to go win the this contest. This is the most important thing yeah, ever. You, th- like, you think things are super important when you're that Doc, what old. are you trying to tell me? And, no, I go in there, and I, I literally am like, I was in so much pain. But I'm like, I need you to sew my foot up so I can go and go back into this final. Like, I'll wear a booty. And he's like, okay. And then all of a sudden he, like, starts looking, and he's like, yeah, I got bad news for you. Like, you cut halfway through your Achilles tendon. Like, you might be able to walk in six months. But luckily that was, like, not true because after, like, three months I was out of the cast. I even surfed in my cast a little bit because I was like, I can't hurt it now. It's stuck in one place. Um, Good theory. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> but I think I tried to surf the day when I got out of my cast, but it didn't really work. And then two weeks later I was surfing. So it was three and a half months till I was surfing again. But at that time, three and a half months seemed like eternity. And I had nothing to do because all I did was surf. Like, I never played Little League. I never did any of that stuff. You had Little school. You, you could have went to school. I did go to school. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> you dropped out by 14. Outside of school. <laughs> you could have studied. School read, read is just books. like, school is like a speed bump between yeah. surfing. <laughs> you're like, you're a speed bump on my road to glory. You could read a book. Yeah. <laughs> read? How do you do that? <laughs> But anyways, like, I, I just felt like I still wanted to hang out with my friends and, like, be involved. So the only way for me to do that was to go film them. And at the time, my dad had just bought a little, like, mini DV camera to film me surfing. So I just took his camera. I didn't even have a tripod. He might have, but I didn't even want it. I was, like, too lazy to use it. And I would just film them surfing with no tripod every single day. Like, just film my friends surfing. And then finally I got better. I was like, I'm not filming anymore, but I'm going to edit this thing. And I edited this whole movie. Like, people think, like, oh, Get Rad was my first movie, you know? But that was actually, like, my third movie. I made mm-hmm. movies. My first one was called Trickster for Kids. I was, like, 14 years old when it came out, maybe 15. And it was, like, a bunch of kids yeah. doing tricks. <laughs> no, yeah, it was. It was super early on. Like, and we, and we were buddies with, uh, we still are, with Austin Smithford. Yeah. Who, who was, like, shredding very hard. Still is, obviously. But, like, we had some good friends that were actually, like, kind of on the road to, like, getting sponsored and, like, surfing really well. So you, you were a part of a crew that actually had talent. 
and they were super stoked because they didn't have anyone else to film them. But then, did you, what kept you filming once you got back into surfing? So I actually got super into editing. So at the time, we didn't even have a computer. It was like most people at that time actually I feel like did have computers. Like at school, you'd talk to people and they had a, like a family computer. But like my family didn't even have a computer. And I remember like I got all this footage and I had nothing to do with it. And I had to beg my parents like, oh, we got to get a computer so I can like edit this footage. So like they bought like a used computer and somehow it like I don't know if it came with it or I like bought some super janky like editing software that I don't even remember what it was called with it and I edited this like full on like 45 minute movie of all my friends surfing like just fully inspired by like Palmer and Tony Roberts and like these are all old Santa Cruz older Santa Cruz all these filmers, guys yeah. and just but the best part now which was the worst part then was when it so I edited it all first and then I wanted to put music in it obviously and I couldn't figure out how to put music in it and like I didn't know who to ask how to do that like I didn't know any I didn't know Palmer or any of these guys I just like looked up at them so I kind of just I figured out how to put one song in it and I couldn't get any more so I found the longest song that I could find it was a 12 minute long Metallica song it was in the beginning for the first 12 minutes and then the music goes out and then it's like well you just gotta play your own or something so that <laughs> was that hilarious man but then getting back into it like cause I felt like after that I definitely like I guess I was always into it, but, like, surfing kind of came first after that. Like, then I could surf again. I was stoked to surf. And I think shortly after that, I got sponsored by Quicksilver when I was, like, 15 or so. And I was going on, like, some trips and stuff. I'd How'd that to, happen? How'd you get sponsored by him? Uh, he rips. Bro, Shredding, have bro. you seen me? Bro, I was <laughs> ripping. <laughs> no, I actually... Pete Mel, well, did Pete Mel sponsor you? Pete Mel was a huge part in getting me sponsored, yes. But what originally happened was I got dropped by Sessions because I was sponsored by Sessions first. I Maybe even when I cut my Achilles tendon because there was this, like, surf skate contest. It was a surf skate contest that was put on by Chesley and, like, I think Jason Miller. And it was the only one of its type in Santa Cruz at the time and still probably would be if they did it. We should bring that thing back. It was so sick. I remember that contest like you and I Kyle and I we were we like I maybe neither of us were like the best surfer or the best skater of our age or Kyle was probably the best skater of his age for sure but the thing that I was definitely the most well-rounded so when that contest came about I was like well I could like it was 18 and under and I was like I think 14 or something so I was like I could win this thing yeah Dude, I think I think you were fourteen or fifteen. I, I was like thirteen. Dude, so check it out. What was that? What was it? It was called the Board Riders Battle. The Board Riders. I remember <laughs> trying to convince my dad to let me do this contest, and he's like, "No, the waves are high tide in the morning, and it's going to be too dangerous to come in. Like, you're not doing the contest." So I was literally up the night before the contest, like arguing with my dad, like, "I'm." doing this contest right. he's like no you're not it's too dangerous you're not doing it and i think my dad never was really too stoked on me skateboarding he probably didn't even knew i he probably didn't even know that i knew how to ride a skateboard because he never watched me do that he was always so supportive of my surfing but anything else is like don't do that it's too but dangerous. you would come over to my house i would come and over to kyle's all house the time and, and we got pretty good his ramp oh, and we got good because kyle was already really good so he pushed us like like this little guy rips like we got a rip too so like got pretty good by then already, I guess, and there was this contest, and the the prize was the winner got sponsored by Sessions and DC, and it was 18 and under, so I was like, whoa, that's like an old 
age gap at 14. That's like, well, that's... But like, to, to break this down for people, so you could you would surf a heat, and then you, we would go down to the local skate park. And this is like a whole surf contest full of people. Go down to the local skate park, and you would skate us... Uh, uh, the uh, half-pipe. The half-pipe. Half yeah, pipe. it was a six-foot half-pipe. And I had a six-foot half-pipe in Kyle my backyard. So Guthman and I were like, we're going <laughs> to fucking take this thing yeah. down. Exactly. Like, we're, we're doing this. But at the time, I was not a very good surfer at all. Like, I told these kids, like, oh, yeah, I surf. And then they saw me, and they're like, dude, you don't surf. I'm sorry. But that, this is the thing you, I remember about the contest. The funniest part about the contest was, so you got to pick, you got to surf, like, I think three heats and skate three runs, right? And you had, if you picked two surf heats and two skate heats, you got a bonus 20 points. But if you pick, you could pick three of one and one of the other. So when it came down to, like, the final, I picked two surf and two skate. So I got the bonus 20 points, and I had, like, a pretty lucky surf session. I remember getting, like, barreled in my heat somehow and, like, getting, like, a one of the highest surf scores of the day. And then I did really well on the skateboard as right. well. So I... But, but I didn't know I did. Yeah. It was all announced at the end. And then Tierman was like pretty much just blowing people away. I was away full, full, on skater, the ramp. full skater though. So I was like, all right, I'm putting all my eggs in the skater so basket. So he went out and got like probably three tens on his skate runs and then whatever he got in his surf run. Shitty. I and could barely he put surf at three point. skate runs in one surf run. And then I remember at the end of the day, we're all like, oh, I wonder how we did. Like, I had no idea. And I don't really remember who got fourth, but I feel like it might have been like this guy, Garrett Boyden who actually ripped at both. So we're like, oh, Garrett, like, whoa, he's gnarly. Maybe we didn't even make it to the top. And then they're like, third place, Kyle Tierman. I'm like, well, I had to do better than Tierman. He's a grown. <laughs> <laughs> but I was psyched, dude. I was like, oh, I no. was like, he I was, was third, dude, he was third place. And they gave us these trophies that were sick. handmade. Hand like, it was like this, this <laughs> it was like a fin glued onto a styrofoam <laughs> plaque with like yeah. session stickers on yeah, it yeah. and like a little like army action figure. I was like, this is the sickest thing ever. It was, no, this is what it was. It was a, a styrofoam plaque, <laughs> independent skate trucks, and a fin glued onto the top of it. And I had that thing in my room probably until like two years ago. Yeah. So it was the only, it was the only surf trophy I kept. Like, for a long, long term. So Tierman got third, and then I remember Mick Nevins, who was like 18 at the time, and he surfed good and skated good. He got second. He got second. And then I got first. And it was pretty cool. That so, was pretty so I cool. I ended up getting sponsored by Sessions, and then I was supposed to get sponsored by DC, but that never really happened. I think at some point they like gave me a few pairs of shoes, but like pretty much like, don't talk right. to us. <laughs> but... But it was the deal was like a year sponsorship, and I think I was like too scared to ever call them, you know, because <laughs> the sessions had a surf team at the time, and I was like way too scared to make a call. I still am, but then I was like way, way too scared. So I ne I sort of literally just like went, got a walk through the warehouse, got all this gear, and was like, yeah, session sick, like puts the logos on, and like never did anything, and then like six months later I got another one, and then I think I like never talked to him again. So I was kind of so like embarrassed, funny, like. It's After so funny how I didn't how nervous I was to talk again. to people in the surf industry who are a little older than me. And now I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness. I was so terrified walking through the doors of like Sector 9 skateboards or something. So to round it all out, we're all very committed surfers, but we're also doing other stuff with our lives. And Cliff Capona, would you say that you would rather be doing you, you said you would not want to be doing full-time surfing. 
you like what you're doing otherwise. You like stimulating your mind in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel I do full-time surf, but it's not always like getting barreled in Mexico with pro surfers. I, I think like I try to balance as much as I can surfing with doing something else you know if I can if if I can do the um, double dip right I, I, I that that seems just more like I just want to get the most out of every day and I feel by just surfing just for me I'm not getting the most for myself it doesn't fill my cup hmm. I, I think what fills my cup is really allowing myself to be out in the ocean but also seeing other parts of this amazing planet like when we were coming in from the surf on that boat ride like that we got to stop and see those birds on that island like to me that that was i would say probably the highlight of my session was when we got to see those birds because those birds they reminded me of when i was at home and i seen those same types of birds before a storm came and as i'm looking over you there's now lightning happening amongst us so it's just, it means so much more by just having birds communicating to me in a way, knowing that the weather is changing. As we've been waiting here in Porto for the, the winds to go offshore for quite some time, as many people for weeks, you know, the birds knew. And the same storm birds that tell my people in Hawaii that a storm's coming are now here. So it just is so like gratifying to get these other pieces of knowledge outside of just the surf. I don't know, for me, that's what Absolutely. fills my cup. Well, you also have a very, um, I would say, like a a large scale view of surfing. Like you're very in it. You're in it, and most people who are in it just think about the next swell. They think about getting barrel. They think about their boards. They think about getting better, but. I mean, the Cliff other does think about all this stuff. You think I, do, I, do. I watch yeah. him every <laughs> night on the trip, standing the swell everywhere in the world. Oh, I'm like, whoa, wait, you check every single spot? He's like, oh, there's a big swell coming to Neos. I'm like, have you ever even been to Neos? He's like, no. There's one coming to Fiji, too. I've been there. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty You sick. do that, but you also have the ability to take two steps back and then think about surf culture as a whole. You sure. have the ability to think about maybe not the, effectively, the, but I try the to. surfer's gut biome. You you basically t you take these snapshots from different perspectives of our surf culture that most people don't, right? And it feels like you're constantly you're moving in more deeply to the surf culture, but you're also moving out more broadly and communicating from those perspectives as well, which is why I enjoy traveling with you. Yeah. Well, I mean that's what the surf culture is to me. You know, I surf culture for me is is so vast and there's so many different styles of surf culture depending on where you come from. Like there's geography within surf culture. Surf culture in California is very different than Hawaii versus England versus North Africa versus South Africa, South America, even on other sides, Pacific or Atlantic in the same country. There's like different cultures. And to me, that's just so fascinating and it, it enriches this culture which we belong to, you know, it's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Not only that, but surfers poop is <laughs> different and than I, even and, other people. And kind of the same amongst ourselves. Yeah. You know, and that's just something that, I mean, you know. People the, are going to think that's really weird if you the, don't back poop, this up with an is, explanation. So, <laughs> the poop is a proxy. The poop, it's the microbes, the bacteria, the fungus, the viruses, 
the majority of the unseen organisms that live with us in symbiosis can be de kind of quantified by looking at stool or shit. So this is my kind of first surf trip with Cliff, but it's actually my second because I met him when he was doing the the surfers got project. biome surfer biome project yeah <laughs> surfer biome project. in so, morocco i was in morocco with my brother and my girlfriend tess and i remember pulling up to this wave we had this guy reda taking us around and he's like oh the hawaiian guy's out and we're like shit there's some like eggy hawaiian guy here like we're gonna <laughs> paddle out and he's gonna like i don't know we just like thought it was gonna be someone who like wasn't super stoked and we paddled out and it was Cliff, and he was like the coolest guy ever. Like, I remember paddling out, and he's like, "Hey, bro, what's up?" <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, dude, how's it going?" And then, like, within like five minutes, we're like hooting for each other, getting piped, and like, "Oh, we should hang out after this," so that we hung out a bit through the rest of the trip. But I remember asking him, like, "Oh, like, what are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm like getting people to wipe their butts <laughs> and taking the sample." And I was like, "Whoa, that's kind of weird." <laughs> Turns out he's like a genius, so let him well, talk about well, it. Well, I, so I remember the story of our first meet a little bit different. We were surfing the wave. We've been surfing it for a few days already. <laughs> and we hear by our guide, my good friend Elias, oh, the Santa Cruz boys are here. Yeah, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Santa Cruz boys, they're probably super eggy. <laughs> they're like, oh, here we go. Okay, SC boys, like, what you got? So, and to get into this wave, it's like, it, it's literally, there's no sand, no beach. You're jumping off these jagged, sharp rocks into like way, way overhead waves smashing into the rocks. If you fell on those rocks, you I pretty much... I actually did fall on those rocks. I pretty much fall on any rocks <laughs> that I can possibly fall on. We're ordering more drinks right now. Yeah, those rocks, the get out was... It wasn't really that bad. You just had to time it and then jump off these rocks. But like I always somehow do, I m mistimed it and got like slammed backwards from this huge wave back into these like barnacle covered drops, ripped a hole through my wetsuit, was bleeding, and then proceeded to paddle out with like a sore knee and like, it was pretty gnarly. I didn't see that, because if I did, I would have definitely thought differently of Kyle. Because <laughs> the first, so we see them running down, okay, the Santa Cruz boys are here, set comes. And I mean, I was like, okay, well, if you guys are nuts, you're going to want this set. Kyle didn't even, like, he kind of looked over, like, anyone going, and it was kind of, it was a big wave. And there was only two of us out, so it was like, <laughs> if you want it, it's yours. Kyle proceeds, drops into one of the biggest barrels I've seen him in. Actually, not anymore, but at the time, because I didn't know this guy. Gets so barreled and just gets blown out with the spit. And I was just so impressed by the way he was able to navigate this wave that I was like, oh, okay, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what's up, bro? And his brother came on and did the same thing. And I was like, oh, well, these guys rip. And they're so, cool. So what were you doing in Morocco? So what I was doing in Morocco, that was, um, I think that was halfway through my trip of the Surfer Biome Project, which was a global experiment to try to determine whether the bacteria in surfers are similar across the world. 
and if those bacteria among surfers are different than non-surfers. So I sampled the skin, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, the belly button, chest, hands, feet, and also the poops of the surfers. And that was kind of the funnest part because I knew I could get people to volunteer their hand samples. I just swabbed it with a Q-tip. I didn't know if people would be super stoked to give me their doo-doo samples. And surprisingly, a lot of people were stoked and the poop was like their best part of it. Wait, so how did you go about getting these poop samples? Did they like hand you a piece of toilet paper? Yeah. So, okay. So what I do is I usually, I ask them, can I sample you? And I tell them, you know, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, hands, feet, chest, whatever. And they're always like, oh yeah. So we end up doing the sampling. We surf all day together and we go do the sampling. And it's a group of like 10 or whatever. So they all get together and everyone's having fun and it's all... You know, it's all good. And then at the end of the night, I'm like, hey, one last sample. Does anyone have to take a shit? <laughs> and they're like, what? And I was like, oh, it's kind of the last one. I really need it. And, you know, some people are all like, oh, no, I already went. And I'm You've like, already got them on the line. I was like, though, but you guys yeah. already, you ate so much food. You should food. be doing this at the coffee shop before yeah. the surf in the morning. Well, I did do the coffee shop one night at a coffee shop thing. And people were like, oh, no, I can't. I'm like, come on, this is coffee. Like, you probably have to go. But some people, you know, I take them all to the coffee shop, and then I ask right after. But I, I Double espresso, sir? Anyway, yeah, so I ended up doing the experiment, and poop was a part of it. The poop serves as a proxy to the type of bacteria that's found in your gut. And they're finding that the bacteria in your gut has an influence on a lot of things, even as far as behavior or uh, thinking patterns. Like, there's the microbiome is... The, the microbiome is your community of bacteria found right. in your body, and it's there's millions and millions of dollars being invested by the National Science Foundation into understanding how the bacteria in our guts and on our body affect our thinking, allergies, autism, um, healthcare. It's, it's yep. redefining how we see ourselves as humans. I, I had a guy named Ben Greenfield on this podcast who's a biohacker guy, and he told me that 90% of the neurotransmitters uh, in your body, there's like what makes you feel good, feel bad, like all, all this stuff are found in your gut. Sure. So, how, by having a more diverse gut biome, it can literally change your personality. So, there's certain infections and diseases, or mostly infections, that occur in the body, say, either after a transfer of organ transfer, or even if you have to undergo immunosuppressants like chemotherapy. It, it, your immune system, it is compromised. So we rely on the bacteria and the fungus and all these microorganisms that live in and on our body to help protect us. So if you have a diverse and healthy microflora, then it's gonna be easier to protect when your, your immune system's weak, when we get tired, say. You know, people think like, oh yeah, when you're on chemotherapy, the microbiome really is important. But even as surfers, as we travel, you know, we. we we go through the airplanes and the layovers and the taxi cars and we get tired and our adaptive immune system it, it it is strained and it's maybe not as healthy as it is when we're just kicking back and super strong so we probably don't recognize or realize how much we rely on just the innate immune system the amount of bacterias and fungus that are fighting off all harmful infection which is why it's so important to get that diverse microflora that is found in places where we feel safe and that's what this project was really about would you say it's also a 
would you say that maybe there's a larger um, message at hand, which is servers are connected no matter where they are? Yeah, I think the biggest message which I wanted to communicate was that we know we leave a fingerprint on nature. The chemicals and whatever we do now in society, it eventually diffuses out into our environment. We're pretty clear about that. Fingerprints, for example. We know that we touch everything. Everyone's pretty familiar with forensics and we leave a fingerprint behind. I think we forget that nature also leaves its fingerprint on us. And one of the ways it does that is through the microorganisms found in nature that is a part of us, whether we realize it or not. And this project was really to be able to showcase that nature, microorganisms, microorganisms that come from nature, they infiltrate our skin and our nasal cavities and even in our gut to be able to show that whether we like it or not, we are a part of nature on the most molecular level. The DNA of bacteria found exclusively in the ocean is now found in the surfer's gut. And, and these, are, these are results that need to be validated through peer review, which is still ongoing in this study. But that was the purpose of this experiment, was to be able to identify the types of microorganisms that are found in nature within humans through colonization. Yeah. I listen to a podcast with this guy named Jeff Leach. He's um one of the foremost researchers on the microbiome. I think I was telling you the other night, he lives out sure. um, with the Hadza tribe and studies their microbiome. Um, and uh, he said that learning about the importance of the microbiome is the greatest gift to the environmental movement that we've ever seen. Sure. Because we now can say with some amount of certainty that our environment the amount of trees, the diversity of animals that we live around are influencing our microbiome on the most basic level, which is, is pretty interesting because a lot of environmental issues tend to feel so far out there mm -hmm. to be able to bring it in literally to our gut, I think is interesting. Well, Science, Cliff Capone. Boothy, he just spent six months this past, six months ago. Summer. <laughs> traveling mm -hmm. from... Santa Cruz down to mainland Mexico, right which I'm sure he got some today. to right here. I'm sure he got some, some big-time colonization of microorganisms Boothie, on that did trip. you get the shits on your trip through Mexico? Not one time, Not somehow. one time. Not okay, one so, time. so to back it up for people, what was this trip that you took? We basically drove from Santa Cruz to Salina Cruz. Southern, so southern basically Mexico. the entire west coast of Mexico. So we started in Santa Cruz. Over six months. Yeah, and we crossed over into Mexico in Baja. We did the whole coast of Baja. In your truck. In my truck. And then crossed over on the ferry to mainland and then did the whole west coast of mainland and then back. And we took six months to do it because the goal of the trip was kind of like, hey, we're going to wait at every good spot until we get it really good so you know certain places we'd be there for a month before we got good waves so we literally pretty much couldn't leave until we got good waves and it was just one of those things like i feel like you and i have been talking about driving down here for so long ever since we've been doing mexico trips and never done it and i was like all right we got to do this thing before we can't do it anymore did so, you ever get the invite 
I got the invite. Jim was supposed to meet us like 50 times along the way, and he never did. I know. He big league does up. Big league them, dude. And I, we, did, I was, was bummed, dude. dude. I was like, this is like the sickest trip of my life, and Tierman wasn't a part of it because Tierman and I, like, I don't know. We, we've gotten so many barrels, like, where I'm watching him get tubed, or he's watching me get tubed, like, over the years, and it was kind of a bummer that he wasn't a part of this trip. I called him multiple times, like, dude, there's a swell coming, you gotta meet us, but... And I was like, dude, Chairman's a busy I'm, guy these I'm days. doing this thing called the Motherfucker Awards. It's really serious. <laughs> I'll tell you more about it, but, uh, it's a big deal, okay? And you're like, that sounds stupid, man. <laughs> no, well, 100%, man. I mean, you you got me into surfing. You took me down on my first trips to Mexico where I actually got barreled. And it's almost like I fell in love with surfing again when I started getting barreled. And... I was very sad. I had a lot of FOMO that I didn't. Well, I take uh, I'll take partial credit when you see Tierman drop into like a fifty foot wave at Mavericks and not me because I don't do that. <laughs> but I'll take partial credit for that because I was the one who brought him down here to Mexico and was like, "This is what it's all this about. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about." And we would surf, you know, not fifty foot waves, but maybe twenty foot waves. And well, that wave that you showed me on your trip at Spot X in. <laughs> mainland mexico was pretty huge that was one of the biggest barrels i've ever seen in my life no joke and boothy was on this trip he's like that's the best barrel of my life i just got and i was like wow it must have been a really good yesterday because i couldn't make it the first day of the trip because my dad was getting remarried so i had to be there to support pops which i'm stoked it was really fun it was like geriatric but rager you're like this is sweet but pops like that's not your first marriage there's well, a lot of Cliff, no. Cliff was telling me he was telling me he's like yeah i can't leave hawaii until it was like what monday or something yeah, it was on sunday yeah, or something yeah. like sun monday or something and i was like why can't you just take a red eye on sunday i was like the swell is gonna be tuesday like it's gonna be tuesday he's like no wednesday is gonna be the best day and i was like i don't know it usually comes a day early so, so boothman like always it came a day so boothman early. you got six months to take this trip Six months. I didn't really get six months to take this trip. I just took it. Took six months to take this trip. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to do this forever. Like, I'm basically just gonna risk. Tell me about that. It and that take this conversation trip. inside your head, deciding to do that, because a lot of people can say, like, dude, I can, I can't take six months. I'm sorry. Half a like, year. I mean, I felt year. the same way for sure, but I didn't know how long it was gonna be at first. It was like, oh, how long is it gonna take? It might take three months. Of, you know, I don't know, but like. Basically, it was like, I've wanted to do this trip for so long. I'm going to be so bummed if I'm 40 years old and haven't done this trip. And I don't want to do it then. Like, I'm going to just do it. And I'm going to deal with the consequences when they come. And, like, to tell the truth, I got pretty lucky. And, like, sure, there was, like, I missed some, you know, obviously missed out on some money I would have made and some jobs here and there. But for the most part, like, I have kind of clients that, you know, that... Come, come back. back and luckily I didn't really miss too many shoots and I was able to go on a shoot right before like a big shoot right before the trip and then another one right when I got back and like it just kind of worked out like I got pretty lucky I didn't really lose any clients I obviously lost a few shoots but right it is what it is it was worth it for sure but and you camped out the whole way too we did camp out the whole way yeah. with a quiver of different a variety of boards what was your what was your board what boards did you take down on this thing so i remember like so there was four of us it was myself tessa which is my girlfriend and then austin and his girlfriend melissa 
And this is Austin. This is Austin the Austin that you initially started shooting video of when you were 14 years old. This is him. They used He's to call him one. Squirt because he was little in your stories you've told us. <laughs> yep, Squirt. <laughs> that's that's Austin Squirt. <laughs> but yeah. And you guys had Japui tents on top of your truck and you would just pull over on the side of the road. and Not camp- on the road, like on the beach. We pretty much camped on the beach for six months. And like sleeping on the beach in a tent is probably the best thing ever. I miss it like every single day when I wake up in the morning now. It's just like you don't hear the ocean. Waking up next to the ocean and going to sleep next to the ocean is like one of my favorite things ever. And your boards, where did they go and what were they? The, when we like talked about how many boards we wanted to take, you know, it was like, so just to sidetrack for a second, I remember one trip to Mexico where we came down for a week. It was me, Austin, and Tierman. Tierman showed up with two board bags. He had six boards <laughs> in each bag. He had 12 boards for a week. We're like, dude, who are you? He's like, oh, I need, I need a lot of boards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. But anyways... I left, hey, just just <laughs> caveat, I left half of them down there. I had a plan. It was a long-term plan. You start leaving boards in locations around the world, and then you save money on fees. But Continue. Then, but then you still want to take more when you go, so you just... Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was a big timer. But yeah, we basically were talking about bringing boards and how many boards we could bring and all that, and Tessa, my girlfriend, is a longboarder, so that's always been kind of an issue traveling is like whoa a longboard that's hard one to travel i love that you have a little pause there like she's she's been a long she's a longboard that's always been an issue no it's not an issue it's it's actually like the opposite of an issue it's perfect because i get to surf the waves that i like and she surfs the waves that she likes Mm. and for the most part they're different we surf together too but not always she's an amazing surfer by the way she's a great surfer she is but yeah so we had a few longboards on the car and then we wanted to bring obviously we wanted to bring big wave boards for the trip we knew it was going to get big at some point but we couldn't even fit them so the biggest boards that we actually took on the trip we Austin and I each brought like a 610 I think we brought like all together it was like 13 boards in the truck and on top of the tents it was like some in the back some on the tents so I think we brought 13 boards along the way but then we had my brother meet us in Puerto and bring us our big wave boards. And then I... How'd you fit all that stuff in your by truck? By then we had broken some boards. So there's four people there in, were f- in the truck. There was four people in the truck. Tapui tents on the top. Tents on top. And 13 so much surfboards. stuff. Fitting it in the truck was like Jenga. Like, or no, sorry, Tetris. Tetris, yeah. <laughs> it was so hard to fit everything in the truck. I remember like we laid everything out in the house beforehand like this is what we want to take and there was like there's no way it filled up like the entire house like how are we going to fit that so that didn't obviously happen we had to slim it down a little bit and my buddy Chris his girlfriend Haley is amazing like organizer and packer and she came over and like packed everything as tidy as it could and then somehow we got the majority of the things we wanted to bring on the trip into the truck but there was literally no room to spare. So at a certain location in Baja, we uh, had to shed some stuff. And Chris and Haley actually met us in Baja and they took a lot of our gear home for us. So actually, I think we started the trip with a few more boards than 13. I think it was 15 at first. So we gave one away 
in Baja, and we also had sent a longboard home with Chris. What, do you, what did you take too much of, and what did you not take enough of? First, what did you take too much of? What were you like? You get on the road, and you're like, shit, we didn't need all that. Because you're a light packer, too. I, I'll go around the world with Boothman. He brings a backpack and a, and a board bag. So That's I it. was the only one who brought camera gear on the trip, but I still had the least amount of gear out of everyone. <laughs> it was <laughs> Austin. <laughs> what was in your bag? He brought, like, the biggest bag I've ever seen. Dude, you need and a hair dryer. You need a hair dryer. Melissa also trips. had a huge bag. So at one point, we're like, you need to, like, split your bags into one of those bags and send one home. So that's what we did. We sent one of those home. We sent a board home. What did they bring too much a of? A few things home. Clothes. Austin had a bag that had, like, he would open the thing and you never knew it was going to come out of it. Like, at one point, it was like, oh, here's, like, spike ball and here's, like, every game you've ever <laughs> seen coming out of this bag. Like, there was so much stuff in this bag. It was fun to have a lot of the time, but it took a lot of room. Yeah. And what did you, what did you bring too much of? I honestly... Nothing. You didn't really bring that much. You stuff. don't. Bring, you just don't bring clothes on trips, huh? I see you. I have been like the one same shirt. I mean, you smell. You smell everything. Like, like this is the shirt I started on man, this trip. You've been sleeping with him. <laughs> so you, he smells bad. But oh he's my a, god! He's Going from Chairman, the stinkiest guy ever. I'm a stinky man. I'm a stinky man. There's two types of sweat in this world. There's athletic sweat, and then there's sit-for-too-long sweat. I have a lot of sit-for-too-long sweat. I have airplane sweat 24-7. I'm like, I sweat like an obese person. Like, I'll, I'll straight up just, like, go around. I don't around. even know how sweaty he is. Like, I get pretty sweaty, especially if I eat, like, salsa when I'm eating dinner. Then I get really sweaty. You are sweaty. I'm watching luckily, you while you eat. Yeah. My sweat doesn't smell that bad. But yeah. Tierman's, on the other hand, like, he might not sweat so much, but... It smells bad. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's dark. There's there's a darkness <laughs> dark. in me that needs to be let out every now and again. <laughs> I'm just such a positive per the sw- person that sweats like, no, we're coming out of you one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you say you took away from your six months abroad? Because I think that we work way too much as a, as a culture. I think you should... Be able to do, you know, get your shit done, but life is for living. And I feel, I like, uh, honestly, many times, like multiple times a month, I think about the people who made my clothes and I think about their lives and their day to day grind, going to work, first light in the morning, doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until they go home at the end of the day and they wake up again and they do the exact same thing. And I think about the amount of creativity that as humans we have when we're given a little bit of free time to start thinking about new ideas, new stories, new projects. We, like, we find certain proclivities that we're interested in. We go towards that. And if you're given that amount of space, I think that a lot of brilliance can ensue. So when we talk about wasted time, a lot of times it's, that's the most valuable time that we have. Like we, when we think about... Um, Cliff, you know about this, I'm sure. Like the the measurement system um, for how we measure volume, uh, it was what Galileo, <laughs> Eureka. It, it was all right. One of the one of the very smart volume. guys, right? So he's he's trying to figure out the measurement for volume, right? Mm-hmm. He's laboring over this problem, and he can't figure it out. So he decides to take a day off and take a bath. So he gets in this hot bath, and as he gets in, 
he watches the water rise and he figures out that that's how you can measure volume by putting mass inside Which is still liquid. used today to determine still volume, t- displacement of water. And he runs down the street and says, Eureka, Eureka, I found it, right? Which is this great metaphor for taking some time off to come to your big realization. So, Boothman, did you figure out how to measure volume on your trip to Mexico or some <laughs> shit like that? Um, what would you say you took away from it? What did I take away from the trip? I took away from the trip that basically, like, I think you got to do what you want to do when you want to do it sometimes. And it was cool, though, because, like, now when I, you know, when I got home, this is, like, pretty much my first surf trip since then. So it's been another six months now that I've just been at home, like, grinding out, working on a bunch of projects. And then finally I got a bunch of things done, and Cliff was like, let's go to Mexico. And I was like... (laughs) Let's go. <laughs> and then I was like, we got to take Tierman too, because Tierman and I usually do a, like early season Mexico trip. This is a little bit later than usual, but we were lucky enough to sneak away in between projects and do another little trip, and it has been amazing. So basically just I learned that, like, don't be scared to kind of, like, do what you want to do, because I knew if I didn't do it, I would have just been bummed, you know, and I would have always been, like, wondering, because I... I basically had it in my head, like, this is what I want to do right now. And that's what we did, and it was totally worth it. Yeah, because you die sooner or later. You never know when that's going to be. And all you got is the experiences that you take with you. And that's what people were telling us on the trip. They're like, you can't do this trip. You're going to die. I was like, why? We're not going to die. I, I got I, I to say, I've been on this trip, and I still speak better Spanish than Boothman, and I'm like, I can't believe you didn't die. <laughs> that was, yeah, I, uh, your your stories of like, oh, we couldn't find this propane tank, so we had to go into some sketchy inland town <laughs> over these mountains, and I went inland from the coast before, and it definitely, it's a very different type of... There's just not as, many, not as many tourists. And it's, it's just a different, it's a different vibe altogether. Uh, I think as surfers, we come down to these different places around the world, and it, we're, we kind of forget that we're, we're not home. But because we have the ocean and we see maybe someone else who surfs, we automatically just assume that the, the comfortability of that. Right. But in reality, it's, this, this is a totally different world. The rules that we're used to, even in the surf, don't apply on land. And when you were like just talking about just cruising all over, I think that is not so much of you speaking to the fact that you're a surfer, but more that you're an expert traveler and a respectful person to all cultures. That's why I like you, Boothie. Oh, thanks, Clifford. (laughs) I mean, honestly, though, people, especially Mexico, like I feel like people get so scared of Mexico. They're like, oh, it's so dangerous. Like... I feel like, what if you were to try to travel through America? Like, people North America. don't... Yeah. But people are not, like, that friendly to you. Especially, imagine people traveling through America that didn't speak the language. You'd kind of be like, who are these people? Like, I feel like, like, Mexico as a country, people are very welcoming. And it's one of those places you can literally pull up to someone's house and be like, we need dinner. And they'll cook you dinner. They may charge you a couple pesos, but 
they'll literally cook dinner for you and offer you to stay at their house or camp in their front yard. And multiple people along the way did that. And I feel like at home, like people would never do that. And that's like part of our culture. Like one thing that I've really been appreciating about Cliff on this trip is how much he shares. And it's the same thing when you hang out with Mexican people. I feel like they share everything so well. And like as Americans, I feel like in our culture, we're not as generous or just like we don't, you know, like we get this and it's for us and someone else gets their own thing. But it's cool because on this trip, it's like we pretty much just like someone buys this meal, someone buys the next, someone buys the next. We just so like what was oh, that I like? This, tell tell that. me about one of those examples. Like you just rock up at someone's house and, and you say, "Hey, we have nowhere to sleep tonight." Yeah, we'd literally just roll up and be like, "Oh, we're gonna can we like camp on your property?" And then be like, "Oh yeah." Do you remember any of those examples? Here. Yeah, we rolled into like southern Oaxaca and pulled up on the beach. And we ended up, we're, my brother was, was with us at the time. He came along for, like, would meet us along certain parts of the trip. And he speaks pretty good Spanish because he studied abroad in Spain. So he, uh, he did a lot of the talking when he was on the trip. <laughs> the rest of us struggled with, with Spanish, unfortunately. I wish I was better. Of course, when I was in high school, I was like, I'm going to be different. I took a French class. That was not smart <laughs> considering <laughs> I come to Mexico all the time. I don't know why I did that. Um, I'm going to be different. Yeah, <laughs> but you know we'd roll up right before dark and be like, "Hey, how's it going?" And people were stoked. They were so nice and welcoming. And we stayed at this guy Carlos's house, and his family like we literally became part of their family within like a day. It was like we were just doing everything with them, and we were sleeping in our tents right next to them, and they sleep in their hammocks. So they were literally right next to us, and then you know we'd wake up and. It was such a cool, like, shared community place, and it was, like, just so cool being in their culture. Do you feel like that has changed your behavior when you meet travel tra- travelers who come through your town? Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz. The Hook. The Do you hook. feel as welcoming? Yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Cliff comes? <laughs> when Cliff Kyle, comes into town, I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, let's go. Of Cliff's course, coming. Kyle, Ruthie, you've always been so, so cool. Every time I come to town, that is true. (laughs) Really cool. No, I have always loved like when people come to town. Like I always like, especially people at surf. It's like I want to take you surfing. I want to get you the best waves. Like well, well, like unfortunately, Cliff has mostly been there in the spring. I want him to come in the winter, (laughs) and I can take him to a couple of good spots. Or in the summer, when you get like a freak south swell that doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's good. But hopefully, he'll come up in the winter soon, so we can take him some good waves. But uh, no, for sure, like I enjoy sharing like the gems of our area with people as much as you know because i expect them to do the same for me like hopefully i'll go and stay with cliff in hawaii and he'll take me to serve his spots and hopefully you'll be there too kt right no i i do feel like there's a um a lot of xenophobia in the united states and people hear stories from the media about how dangerous Mexico is, how dangerous just most, uh, just other countries are. You know, there's a lot of American exceptionalism. We're better, fuck you, and we're afraid of you. And I think that people miss out on a lot of major life experiences as a result of that mindset. I agree. I think it's as simple as being able to take a trip. doesn't matter if it's Mexico or somewhere else, but somewhere that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and you're going to meet someone 
and you're gonna I remember share, my, share a meal with them. My camera insurance on the trip was like, oh, well in Mexico we only insure your gear up to half of what it's worth. I'm like what? So you can go anywhere in the world, and if you're to get like say your car broken into and your things taken, they'll give you a full reimbursement of what your gear is worth. But in Mexico they'll only give you half of what it's worth. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get super deep right now, guys. Mexico is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And one of the only reasons that it's dangerous is because of the drug war. It's because of the cartels, right? And the waves. And the waves. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing. <laughs> but the Mexican pipeline. But Raw. Raw. It's be- <laughs> largely the power of the cartels comes from the United States making these drugs illegal, right? So a lot of people argue that you could radically shift the safety and the economy of Mexico if you made these drugs legal in the United States. You just take the power away from them. People usually like taking drugs. Let's make some caveats for like psychedelics and other drugs that I think are (laughs) consciousness expanding. But like, you know, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamines mind-numbing drugs, right? Drugs that numb us. Why do we want to numb ourselves? What are we numbing ourselves from? We're numbing ourselves from connection, right? From the very things that people in Mexico who are taking people like Boothy in and providing people like you these amazing experiences with. Does that make sense at all? Like, you don't want to take drugs. You don't want to get high on heroin or meth if you're having these great experiences otherwise. Sure. Right? If you're connecting with people in a real way. If you're feeling like you're fully, uh, fully involved in your life, if you feel like you are, you know, able to surf and also able to experience intellectual curiosity, if you're able to get yourself out of your comfort zone, you don't need to numb yourself with other drugs. And by coming down here, I kind of made my point. Now I'm just doing circles. <laughs> Going yes. on a rant. Yes. Isn't that, that kind of interesting, though? It is interesting, right? for sure. Like, you, you're not super into drugs, but you <laughs> are... So I'm kind of into drugs, are you saying? <laughs> no, you're not. No, Boothie Booth, doesn't, Booth, doesn't do drugs. But you Walter get drugs. super. And you're do with him. You get real high on big tubes. I've seen Boothy. He turns into a full-on addict. And I do think that we we all need that in one area or another. For sure, you need something that drives you. And I think for all of us, like one of the main things that really drives us is surfing, and especially surfing barreling waves that are somewhat good size and that's why we're down here doing this and that's what really keeps us going and I feel like we can come down here or go wherever we go in the world and come out of it like feeling good and more ready to go into the other part of our lives and luckily all of us get to exercise our creativity in our day to day lives and jobs That's our show. I'm going to play you out the song called Stay Here by a listener named Anthony 
Letteral Jr. Thanks for sending this in, Anthony. Uh, I will link to his band page in the show notes below. If you're a musician and you want your song played, email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send voice memos. Where are you right now? Uh, shoot a little voice memo over to my email, and uh, I will play it most likely. Um, you can also give me feedback on the show by going to my website, kyle.surf slash podcast. There's a little space where you can write a comment. That's where you can give uh, feedback on the episodes. That's where you can recommend new guests. It's a good place where I will read it and most likely respond. Um, and I'm going to be down in LA in the next couple weeks. So if you have good re- guest recommendations for people that are down there, um, let me know. Kyle.surf. That's also where you can sign up for my monthly email list. That's where I have articles, documentaries, every stuff that I find fascinating, I send out once a month. Um, no spam ever, just good stuff. I also have my monthly travel, or not monthly, my summer travel kit uh, on my website, Surf, as well as my book club. All kinds of good stuff over there. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening and for letting me inside your head. Hope you enjoyed that conversation and get outside, get out in the water, and have a great day. See you soon. Yeah.